You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. John chapter 4, please. I want to show you John chapter 4. Now we're going to pick up in verse 31, but I want to give you some context because I could just pick a random verse and say, this is the verse of the year. I don't want to do that. All right. I want to give you John chapter 4. And uh, let me say this, if you're studying at home or if you're taking down notes and you're like, give me a little extra, did you know that the book of Psalms is the 19th chapter in the Bible? Did you know that? All right. 19th chapter. If you look down through history, 19th chapter, each chapter actually corresponds to the year and things that have happened in the previous years. Now I can go through and show you bits and pieces here and there. I don't, we don't have time to do that and I don't want to distract from the, from the goal we're here for this morning. But in Psalm 19, the moment you cross over to Psalm 19 chapter, I'm sorry, Psalm, which is the 19th book, Psalms, 19th book, the moment you get to chapter 100, you break into 2000. And every chapter after that corresponds to the year that you'll see. So when I looked at Psalm chapter 119, which would be 2019, that is actually the longest book <laughs> in Psalm. And so it took me a couple of days to study and meditate on it. And man, there's so much in that. Oh man, there's so much in that. But uh, suffice to say this, if you study that chapter, you'll find that this will be a year that God is saying, as you meditate, I will make miracles happen. You meditate and you'll see miracles. Meditate, it happened. And that, that, that phrase actually shows up so many times. Now, I don't want to get distracted. That's not the purpose of today's message. But today's message, we're going to start in John chapter 4. Now, before we read in verse 31, what happens is this John chapter 3, Jesus is met by a man named Nicodemus, right? And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Now, the beauty of Pharisees, <laughs> the beauty, the ugliness of Pharisees is that they are self righteous. Very self-righteous. In other words, God will bless me because I'm good. And because I have done enough, God will favor me. Okay, very, very self-righteous. And they make everyone else feel bad when they walk in the room because they're so good. They're so holy, all right? They do everything that you're not doing and some. (laughs) But anyways, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he knows that if his friends, his other Pharisee friends, know that he's coming to Jesus, they'll probably look down on him. So he comes to Jesus at night and Jesus says to him, the first thing Jesus says to him is this, unless you are born again, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's a harsh statement. The first thing Jesus said to him was, unless by no means. All right. He ends it by saying this, let me tell you that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But then he starts to talk more about being born again. He talks about the serpent in the wilderness and the end result of Nicodemus's encounter with Jesus in John chapter three. The end result is this. You don't see Nicodemus until three and a half years later when Jesus is dead. Now, I don't so much believe in a slow conversion, but Nicodemus speaks to some people who have a hard time wrestling with Jesus as the way, the truth and the life. But don't worry, once they encounter him, he'll take care of the rest. Are you with me? He will take care of the rest. Contrast John chapter three with what we're about to read. John chapter four, Jesus went and found the Samaritan woman. Are you with me? 
What's the difference between the two? Nicodemus was self-righteous. Nicodemus thought, I don't need all my sins forgiven because I don't have a lot of sin. Pharisee mindset, all right? The Samaritan woman knew she was a sinner. So she came to get water at a time when no one else was there so she wouldn't feel condemned. Are you with me? The woman, Jesus went looking for her. The Pharisee had to go and find Jesus. <laughs> I hope you, get the, hope you get the picture here. I would much rather Jesus come find me than me have to go and try to find him. Are you with me? So the woman is a sinner. She knows she's got sin. Jesus' first words to her are, give me a drink. She looks at him and says, I'm a woman. What are you talking to me for? I'm a Samaritan. What, what? And then the next thing Jesus says is this. If you knew the gift of God, instead of saying what you said, you would have asked me and I would have given you so much more. His first words to her are not, unless, and you will by no means. His first words to her are, the gift of God, and I will give you so much more. Isn't it powerful? Nicodemus gets a revelation about being born again. She gets a revelation of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes, a well will open up inside of you. Are you with me? Now, I love that story. But while Jesus is having this conversation with the Samaritan woman, his disciples are in the city going to get food for him. You remember? In John chapter 4, because he was hungry. Aren't you glad that Jesus as a man is hungry? <laughs> we see his humanity. When he finishes talking, the disciples walk upon him. And then we come to verse 31. Are you ready? In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Jesus gets his food from setting you free. Jesus is nourished by setting you free. Every time you come to him and say, Lord, I need you again, it nourishes him. That's why you should never say, well, I'm afraid to go back to him because I've already asked him for this five times. Keep asking him because he's nourished the more you ask him. Are you with me? So he says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has someone or has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What was the finished work at the cross when he set you free from all your sin? When he set you free from a lifetime of sin? a lifetime of guilt, a lifetime of condemnation, a lifetime of bad memories of who you once were. The moment he set you free from that, he was nourished and he did the will of God. Aren't you happy? Next verse, verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Now put that in gold. Notice they are already white for harvest. Now I'm coming to the word that the Lord gave, and this is going to be the verse that the Lord gave me for this year for our church. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Now notice verse 36, notice, he who reaps receives wages. The one reaping is the one who gets paid. And he gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. The one who sowed, he waits for the harvest before he can rejoice. But the one who is reaping, all right, the one who's reaping, he is the one who's rejoicing. And when he rejoices, then the one who sowed rejoiced. Now, some of you are going, what in the world? Let me explain. <laughs> then we come to verse 37. For in this, the saying is true. And this is what the Lord gave me for us for this year. This is it. One sows and another reaps. One sows and another reaps. Then we come to this. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. 
This is what the Lord gave me for this year. 2019, he said this, this will be the year of reaping the harvest you did not sow. All right? Reaping the harvest you did not sow. When I heard that, I was like, oh man, I'm so excited. <laughs> reaping, we were always taught, we were always taught that you will never reap what you don't sow. I tell you this, Jesus is saying they have already gone ahead of you and sown. So many have gone ahead of you and sown. Now it's time for you to reap where you have not sown. Reap where you, now let me say this, it's actually twofold. And this is what the Lord shared with me and then we'll move along and I'll show you the rest, okay? This is what the Lord shared with me. He said, some of you have been sowing into your life. Some of you have been sowing into your family. Some of you have been sowing into your friends. Some of you have been praying and praying for family members. You've been praying for your children, praying for friends. You've been praying about a lot of things down through the years. And it seemed like all those prayers just kind of didn't get answered. They were somewhere in limbo. And if you remember on Christmas, on our Christmas service last year, about two weeks ago, we, I, I shared a message called God Remembers. Remember that? God Remembers. And, the, and one of the, for me, the crux of that message was this. When the angel Gabriel came to John the Baptist, his father, Zechariah, he said this, the prayer you stop praying, God remembers it. And God is about to answer the prayer you stopped praying. All right. Now, for some of you, the Lord shared this with me and I could see some of your faces even last night when I was preparing. The Lord said some of you have been praying, you've been sowing, you've been sowing into the lives of some people. And it feels like you haven't made any leadway. You haven't made any progress in those areas. It seems like either I am being slow or it seems like nothing's happened happening. Maybe you're praying the wrong prayers. You don't know what it is. And the Lord said, stop trying to find out what's wrong and know that this year you will see the harvest in those areas because this will be the year of you reaping a harvest. Everywhere you have sown, even if it was a famine type area. Now, a good, a good farmer doesn't sow in famine, right? A good farmer doesn't do that. That's dumb. When the ground has no moisture, seed needs water, it needs uh, a multi, uh, you know, various things. When Isaac sowed in famine, he received a hundredfold return. Let me say this, what you will reap this year has nothing to do with the ground anymore. The more you pray in the spirit, you will cause the water, the water will cause the soil to change. Our job this year, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but our job this year is to just pray in the spirit. And the more you pray in the spirit, the Lord said, you will begin to reap where you have sown and you will begin to reap where you have not sown. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now the rest of it makes sense while I was talking about this, right? <laughs> look at verse 35 one more time. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. They're already ripe. I'm telling you, and then the Lord said this, and this was the picture I saw, and I love this picture. I just thought the picture was awesome. The reason why I chose this picture is because the picture is so full. You can't see any gray areas. You don't see any dead areas. You just see harvest. And the Lord said, I want you to begin to see 2019 that way. From now on, I want you to see the rest of this year, not as something you have to work for, only as something you have to reap, only as something that you pull from. You are just reaping. You are just reaping. You're just receiving it. And know this, there are people who have gone ahead of you and who have sown. There are people who have tried in those areas and they have failed. But the Lord says not that they failed. They were just sowing seed. And as you reap, they will begin to rejoice with you. And what you sow, what do we see right here? Where is it? And what you sow, right here, verse 36, he who reaps receives wages. He who reaps receives wages. In other words, he gets paid for doing what? Reaping. 
as you receive what God has for you this year, as you receive in those areas, as those areas you've been sowing into and areas you haven't, as you just receive this year, you will receive wages. God is the only boss who pays you for, re, uh, for receiving someone else's hard work. <laughs> he's the only one. And he's going to make sure that you receive wages for your reaping. And gathers fruit for eternal life. Notice, you gather fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Again, for years we were taught, you will never reap what you don't sow. So if you don't sow, you'll never reap. Let me say this, that is a principle that was true. And then Jesus came. <laughs> then Jesus came. And did you know that at the cross, all of us should have received, we should have all reaped a harvest, gleaned a harvest that we all sowed. In the Old Testament, God said, you've sown the wind, now you will reap the, who knows? The whirlwind, <laughs> You've sown the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. You tried to, to move against your friends. You tried to move against people around you. And now the harvest is going to be just as bad for you and worse. And then in the New Testament, people begin to say, they used to take that verse from Galatians where God says, I'm sorry, where the Apostle Paul says, do not be fooled. God will not be mocked for whatsoever a man, no, no, whatsoever a man sows that he will also Reap. And they took that verse and began to say, if you are, or if you're bad, or if you're mean towards people, whatever you sow, that you'll also reap. And yet no one ever stopped and said, what does the context say? And did you know that the verse before talks about giving money to the one who's teaching you? And the verse after says, make sure that you give to the house of grace. <laughs> and then in between, he says, whatever a man sows, that he also reaps. He's not talking about your behavior. He's talking about what you do with your money. And for some reason, someone thought, hey, let's use this to make people feel bad and feel condemned and feel judged. And the next time someone does something or the next time you make a mistake, whatever you sow, that you will also reap. God will not be mocked. And the whole time it had nothing to do with your attitude or your behavior. It had nothing to do with your mistakes. Nothing to do with your mistakes. The everything to do with Jesus. At the cross, Jesus received a harvest that you deserved. Every time you were mean, every time you did something, every time you were bad, every time you sowed the wind, every time you did something wrong at the cross, Jesus received a harvest you deserved. So that this year you can receive a harvest he deserves. Are you with me? Say this, I receive the harvest that Jesus deserves. This will be a year of reaping where I have not sown. This will be a year of reaping in the areas where I have sown. This will be a year of receiving wages simply for reaping. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now can we keep, can we keep going? <laughs> can we keep building this? Let's keep going. In Micah, watch this. And Micah, the Lord says this, therefore, I also will make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your, aren't you glad we talk about forgiveness of sins a lot? <laughs> so what does he say? By making you desolate because of your sins, you shall eat, but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You may carry some away, but shall not save them. This is tough. <laughs> he says, and what you do rescue, I will give over to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. That's tough. 
<laughs> he says, you shall tread the olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil and make sweet wine, but not drink wine. Now, all of this is the curse, but Jesus has set you free from the curse. Yes. And this year, I'm telling if you want to put another phrase on this year, this year will be a year where the curse is reversed. The curse is reversed. Yes. This year, again, sowing and reaping under the old means where you fail, the harvest will be more failure for you. This year, the Lord is saying, hey, because your sin has been forgiven, your sin has been paid for by the blood of Jesus, your entire lifetime of sin has been removed because of that. Where you were sick, he will heal you. Where you were desolate, he will cause you to have an abundance. Where you were eating and not satisfied, now you will eat and be satisfied. He says, well, hunger shall be in your midst. Now you'll be satisfied at all times. He will satisfy you. You may carry some away, but shall not save them. Let me say this. As you pull some out of the fire, many more will follow them behind. And watch this. And what you do rescue, I'll give over to the sword. What you do rescue will be saved forever. Eternal fruit. You will reap eternal fruit. No more of this. I saved this person, but they went back into what they were doing before. No, no, no. This year, as you save people, the Lord is saying, this will be eternal fruit. This will be eternal fruit. Yes. You'll find that as you help somebody, they begin helping others. Watch this, verse 15. You shall sow but not reap. And we just saw what Jesus said, right? Get ready to reap where you didn't even sow. You shall tread the olives but not anoint yourselves with oil and make sweet wine but not drink it. The Lord said, this year the anointing will be heavy on you. And the wine, oh, get ready to have fun with the Lord. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh man, I have so much I want to share. Now, let me show you, let me tell you this, and I'm going to bring you to something in just a moment. I, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I, I want to I come to the end. <laughs> but before we come to the end, let's continue, because this is the time of reaping the harvest. Can you say that? Say, this is a year, is a year. of reaping the harvest. Reaping All right. This is your year for reaping the harvest. Yes. All right. Again, your year to reap the harvest. Now, in Joshua chapter three, let me just go ahead and tell you up front. There are um, almost... I don't want to say every significant moment, but many significant moments happen during a harvest season. Did you know that in Genesis, I want to say Genesis chapter eight, I could be wrong. I think it's Genesis chapter eight. God told Moses, now that the flood has happened, there will always be uh, summer and winter. There'll always be seed time, sowing and a harvest. Then he goes on to say other things. As long as the earth exists, there will always be a seed time and a harvest time. There'll always be a time to sow, and then there'll always be a time to reap, okay? Now, knowing that truth, you have to understand the season that you are in. Now, I don't preach a lot about seasons. I believe Jesus has caused all of us, he's propelled all of us into a season of eternal favor. We will enjoy the grace of God from now until eternity. I believe that. But understand that there is a time and there's a season for everything. Even Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes. There's a time and a place and a season for everything. This is a season for receiving a harvest that you haven't sown. Are you with me? Receiving the harvest you haven't sown. Now, when you go back and you look in the Old Testament, you start to see that many of the things God did for his people came during certain seasons. And if you understand the season, you'll realize that you are in those seasons. Now, not every season, but this season in particular you are in. Now, for some of you, and again, I'm just, I'm only using these verses on purpose. I'm, there's some verses I had to cut out, but some of these verses I'm using because I saw many of you in this area, all right? So take it or leave it, doesn't matter, I'm gonna share it anyways. Because man, I saw some of your faces last night, all right? Now, 
Joshua chapter 3, the children of Israel have been walking through the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, after 40 years, the, the, the first generation has died because they didn't believe. All right. Let me say this. By the grace of God, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. The first generation did not believe. They didn't believe. And what did they not believe? That God could be so good to give them what they didn't deserve. And because they couldn't believe it, it cost them the promises of God. But I believe that there are some of you in the generation before me that dared to believe God is better than what you thought. Yes. That yes. God is good. Yes, is. God is good. Yes. All right. So you are like Joshua and Caleb with the rest of us. <laughs> now, they arrive at the promised land, but before they can cross over to go into what God has promised them, they find themselves at the Jordan River. Jordan in the Hebrew is Yarden, which means the descent. It means to go down. It's a picture of death. But before they go in, God tells Joshua, what I want you to do is put the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the high priest. Right? Put the Ark on the shoulders of the high priest. And when they step foot into the uh, into the Jordan River, the water will dry up. Now you'll see in just a moment, the water goes all the way back to a city called Adam. Very interesting. Death goes all the way back from where it first started. And then as the priests are standing there, they have to wait and let all the people cross by. So they come from the wilderness into the promises of God while the ark is standing in the Jordan River. Interesting. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, we don't have enough time, but the Ark of the Covenant is a picture of Jesus Christ himself. It's a picture of wood overlaid with gold. Wood, his humanity. Gold, his divinity. It's Jesus. And inside the Ark were all the mistakes that the children of Israel made, where they rejected, uh, I'm sorry, where they were self-righteous at Mount Sinai. God, give us something to do. God said, put the Ten Commandments in there. They rejected the leadership God ordained. God said, put the rod of the leader in there. Are you with me? They rejected God's supply. We are sick and tired of this manna that comes from heaven. God said, put a bowl of manna inside the ark. Are you with me? So inside the ark is a representation of their failure. All your failure was put in Christ at the cross. The ark is a picture of Jesus for all of us at the cross with the blood sprinkled on top. When God looks to judge you, he sees the blood of his son. And instead of judgment, he gives you favor. Are you with me? So he says, I want the ark to go in front of you. And when they step foot into the Jordan, everyone will cross over on dry land. But watch this. If you haven't read the verse already, watch this. Verse 14. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. When I saw this verse, man, that, that, that phrase jumped off the pages. The Lord said, keep your eyes on the ark. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep your eyes on him. No matter what happens this year, just keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. And verse 15, and as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of the what? Oh, man. <laughs> now, if I'm one of the Israelites and we're about to cross over the Jordan River and the priest haven't stepped foot in the water, I'm going to look at the water and say, why are we here? At the harvest time, when the bank is overflowing, let's wait a couple months when the harvest season is done, then let's cross over when the water's gone down some. God brought them here at a time where the water was overflowing. Are you with me? What the world sees as dumb, God is saying, I strategically put you here. This is your harvest season. You're entering into a season, listen, you're entering into a season that when you cross over, 
you're walking into the favor of God. You're walking into a place where you will receive houses you did not build. You will have vineyards you did not dig. I'm sorry, vineyards you didn't plant, wells you did not dig. You will live in, I'm, come on, this is the promised land, the promises of God, and God is saying, all of this, some of you, and again, this is just a picture I had in my mind. Some of you, many of you, actually, the Lord said, it seems like 2018 as it ended. You said, my God, what in the world is going on? <laughs> what in the world is happening? And the Lord said, for you, it seemed like it had been a wilderness experience. But this year, you're crossing over the Jordan River. You're crossing over. And it only got that bad. It only seemed like it was that bad because the banks of the Jordan were overflowing. But let me say this, Jesus has crossed over into the promised land for you. Jesus has crossed over in 2019 for you. And now you are walking over on dry land. Hallelujah. Only to reap where you have not sown. Are you with me? Yes. <laughs> Can we keep going? Yes. Let's keep going. Uh, we don't have to read all that, I just said it. <laughs> Ruth, in the story of Ruth. Did you know that Naomi, and again, if you don't know the story, please go back and read this for yourself. Ruth's story is so beautiful. She is a picture of the Gentile church, all right? She's a picture of the Gentile church. She comes, she's actually a Moabite. She's a Moabitess, all right? The Moabites were cursed. When God brought his people out of Egyptian bondage, the Moabites turned their back on the Jews. God said, now you are cursed because you turned your back on them. Now, none of you, none of the Moabites are allowed into the assembly of my people. Ruth is a Moabitess. She comes into the assembly of God. She should not be there. She should not be there. Her people are cursed. She walks around with a curse hanging over her. But Naomi comes back to Bethlehem and she brings her daughter-in-law Ruth with her. And as they come back, what time of the year did they come back? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem when? at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now I'm gonna tell you this, this is gonna make sense in just a moment, just a few verses from now. What time is it? Just a few verses from now, okay? The harvest is very funny in the Jewish mindset. The beginning of the harvest happens on the Feast of First Fruits. When we, have, when we celebrate Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, right? That Sunday morning when Jesus was resurrected, that is actually the beginning of the harvest. Jesus became the first fruit harvest for all of us, okay? The first fruit harvest is actually a barley. It's not really wheat, it's more barley. And barley has a hard shell on the outside. There's a story one time Jesus and his disciples were walking through a field and his disciples, the Bible says they were gleaning the heads of the grain. Literally, they were breaking the barley open to eat the wheat on the inside. Are you with me? And the Jewish, the, the Pharisees saw that and they got angry and they said, how can they work on the Sabbath? They only said that because they were breaking the shell to get the wheat on the inside. Are you with me? Now, barley is what you see in the beginning of the harvest. The end of the harvest, no more barley, you see pure wheat, white wheat. When Jesus said in John 4, what we just saw, he was talking about the end of the harvest, not the beginning, but the end. The fields are full of the latter or the end time harvest, all right? Did you know that before Joseph unveiled himself to his brothers, they had seven years of harvest, plenty, abundance, then they entered into seven years of famine. Then Joseph revealed himself. I submit to you, we are about to enjoy a fullness, seven years, a fullness of God's harvest. And then Joseph will reveal himself to his brothers. All right. Now, how do we get on that barley? Okay. So it's the beginning of the barley harvest. 
Then you come to the very next verse, chapter 2, verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Now Ruth, again, she's a picture of the Gentile church. We are disqualified. Just by who you are, you are disqualified. And yet she finds herself in the assembly of God's people. When she finds herself there is at the harvest time. Scholars tell us the entire story of Ruth took place during a harvest season, during the months of the harvest season. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. The Lord said this when I saw this verse, the Lord said this, as you are reaping, as you are reaping. She said this by faith. Let me go glean and I will find favor in the eyes of him who owns the field. The Lord said this, glean and reap where you have not sown. Don't be ashamed to receive something that you did not work for this year. Don't be ashamed and don't be embarrassed because you have favor in my eyes. Everywhere you find yourself this year, she happened to come to that part of the field. The Lord said this, your feet are ordained. This year, where you find yourself is because I have put you there and received what you did not work for. Well, someone else worked hard for it. I, I prefer they have it. Don't do it to yourself <laughs> because the only one who will suffer this year is you. I will take what I did not work for this year. <laughs> Let me show you one more. Let me show you one more and I'll close, okay? In 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter four. And I know I'm just telling you stories all the stories play into what you're going to see this year. I want to encourage you, please, either go back and get the sermon. We'll have it for you next week or go back and listen on the podcast. We'll have it uploaded this week. Go back and listen to the messages, because, again, I believe the stories that we're sharing this morning are going to be relative to what you'll see this year. Where you find yourself, how you find yourself there, what happens when you get there. But know this. The Lord said this year you will be reaping. That's what you'll be doing. All right. Now, in first Samuel, let me close with this story. In 1 Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant has been taken by the Philistines. In fact, let me show you real quick. Verse, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 2 says this. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. Verse 3. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us. Now, put this in bold so you'll see it, that when it comes among us, it may, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, I told you earlier, what is the Ark of the Covenant a picture of? Jesus. The Ark is a picture of Jesus. But you know what they said? They went out, they fought, and they lost. And so they said, ha, I got a bright idea, somebody. Everyone listen, I have a bright idea. Let's go get the Ark and let's bring it among us. And it will save us from our enemies. Now, what did they do? They traded relationship for a formula. Essentially, they traded grace for law. They traded God's love for a button. Let me push a button and God will move. Every time it is with us, we always win. So let's just bring it back out here. The moment your prayers become a formula, you've lost. The moment... What you do for the Lord becomes formula you've lost. You've already lost. So what happens? They say, let's bring it that it may save us. So the Philistines fought. Skip ahead to verse 10. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. 
Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, who was the high priest, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now, I want to encourage you to go back and read this story for yourself. But the reason why I'm showing you this is because of this. The ark was captured because they turned grace into a formula. They traded God's grace for law. They traded God's grace for law. Never trade the grace of God for law. Never trade receiving God's favor for trying to push yourself across the finish line. Don't do it. And let me say this. Where some of you have, let me show you what the Lord is going to do. Wherever the Ark of the Covenant is, do you know that people start to see increase? Wherever the Ark of the Covenant is, uh, everything starts multiplying in the lives of that person, wherever the Ark is. Did you know that? As long as the Ark is in Israel, they'll always enjoy rain, harvest, they'll always enjoy peace, safety, because the Ark is the presence of God. Now, watch this. Skip ahead to chapter 6. Same story. Chapter 6. Once the ark is captured, the Philistines take the ark back to their home. And I, I told you, I think a couple weeks ago, everywhere the ark is in the enemy camp, tumors break out. People start breaking out with tumors and boils, and they start realizing it's the ark that belongs to the Jews. Send the ark back. <laughs> they come up with a plan. We got to get rid of this thing before all of us die. <laughs> so what do they do? They put the ark on a cart at the uh, wisdom of their people. They put the ark on a cart with two young bulls who've never uh, had a yoke on them. And they put it on a cart and they make golden tumors, the thing that's been killing them, right? The thing that's manifested. And they say, let's just let the, let the cart go. And wherever it goes, if it goes back to them, then it was their God and we'll all be saved. So they put the ark on a cart and they let it go. And sure enough, the, the cart, the bulls pull the cart all the way back where they're supposed to be. Now watch this. Chapter 6, verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. Now, seems like, well, that's just one piece of the story. But what did I tell you? Whenever the ark is there, you'll always have a harvest. At this point, the ark had been gone for seven months. And yet, God still graced them by giving them a harvest. Are you with me? God graced them by giving them a harvest. Where you have failed by going back to the law, where you have failed by trying to earn something. Even if it was subconscious, the Lord said, I'm still going to give you a harvest anyways. They shouldn't be reaping a harvest. The ark isn't with them. You shouldn't be reaping a harvest because you were working in your own strength. But because you have said, I'm sold out to the grace of God, even when you slip back under your old mentality, the Lord said, I'm still giving you a harvest to reap. I'm still giving you a harvest to reap. And watch this in the valley, and they lifted their eyes and saw the ark, and they rejoiced to see it. Then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. Now I can show you the rest of it, but suffice to say this, this year, where you have failed, the Lord said, rejoice now. Rejoice now before you see it. Rejoice now, because the ark, the presence of God, God's grace is going to begin to flood the areas where you have failed. It's going to begin to flood those areas. And again, you will reap where you have not sown. Can I show you one last thing? One last, last, last thing? Yes. You don't have to turn there. In Leviticus chapter 2, God has a grain offering. How much time do we have? I have a few minutes. I'll share this with you. In Leviticus chapter 2, God says, you are to give me a grain offering. In Leviticus, you have five offerings to depict the one offering of Jesus Christ. The grain offering is made up of four ingredients. Okay? I'll close with this. Four ingredients. And the four ingredients are this. Wheat or fine flour that comes from wheat, all right? Oil, frankincense, and salt. One more time. Wheat, 
oil, frankincense, salt. When I saw that, I saw the number four. And when I see the number four, it always makes me think of the four faces of Jesus, the four gospels of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Now, I'm only gonna give you this tidbit because I think in our church we can go here. Is that okay? <laughs> I hope I don't lose you. If I do, just get the CD, let's do it again. I saw the four ingredients and I saw the four gospels. Remember earlier when I told you that the harvest starts with barley, right? Which is something you have to break to get the wheat on the inside. And it ends with the wheat being pure. You don't have to break anything, it's already there. When I went back and started studying the barley, what I saw is this. The barley is a picture of Jesus the first time he came. When he came, they didn't recognize him. He was God, but there was a shell on the outside. They didn't recognize him. Are you with me? However, when he left at his resurrection, they still reaped a harvest. In the first day, on the first day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. They reaped a harvest. Many of them, a harvest that they had not sown. Are you with me? Fast forward. Today, the wheat at the end of the harvest is a picture of Jesus at his second coming, as him coming as king. But before he comes, we must reap the harvest first. Are you with me? Now, fine flour, the first ingredient is fine flour. It comes from wheat, not from the barley, from the barley harvest. When I saw that Jesus coming as king, it's a picture of the second harvest, the latter harvest, the harvest that will come at the end. You see the gospel of Matthew where Jesus is depicted as what? As a king. The second ingredient is oil. Excuse me, the second ingredient is oil. Oil is always a picture of who? The Holy Spirit. The second gospel is what? Mark. Mark's gospel, Jesus is depicted as a servant. It takes the anointing of the Holy Spirit to serve people who are not worthy to be served. And yet the Lord said this year, this year, as you see me serving you, I will anoint you to serve people who don't deserve to be served. And as you serve them, they will in turn serve someone else. When I saw that, I saw the gospel of Mark, Jesus serving. The third ingredient is frankincense. You put frankincense on a dead body. When Jesus was born, the wise men brought gold, frankincense. How disrespectful. <laughs> Me and my wife want to have another child. If you bring frankincense, we're going to have a problem. All right? <laughs> but Jesus was born to die. Are you with me? He was born to die. So it was fitting that when he was born, they should bring frankincense. But did you know that God himself cannot die? God is life. Life can never experience death. And you have the life of God inside of you. That's why you will never experience death anymore. But suffice it, God cannot experience death. So what did he do? God put on flesh and became a man. Luke's gospel, Jesus is depicted as a man, son of man, son of man, more times than any other gospel, the son of man. Jesus comes as a man in Luke's gospel and you see frankincense. It's fitting that frankincense should be the third ingredient mentioned because you see Matthew, Mark, Luke. And what's the last gospel? Do you know what the last ingredient is? Paul said, let your conversation be full of grace seasoned with salt. John's gospel is the most gracious of all the four. You see the grace of God clearly displayed in the face of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus is in John, you see the grace of God manifesting. Now let me close with this. When it comes to the grain offering or the meal offering, you must have wheat that comes from that harvest. Watch this. And every offering of your grain offering, you shall season it with salt. You shall not allow the 
of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer. <laughs> and I'll close with that. Why is that so important? Why, why is that so important? Because God wants you to know this year, he's putting his salt on you. This year, you have been seasoned with salt. This year, you are the seasoning. Everywhere you go, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Meaning what? You are the grace of God in motion. Everywhere you find yourself this year, you will only be reaping. Everywhere you go, you'll be reaping. You'll be reaping. And let me tell you, people will not like you because they're going to see you moving. They're going to see you being accelerated and propelled. They're going to begin seeing you promoted and going places you shouldn't be because you haven't been there as long as them. And yet I'm telling you by the grace of God, God says you are the salt of the earth. Yes. And this year, everywhere you find yourself, you will be reaping the harvest you did not deserve. Hallelujah. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.